Spherical cow. Hello there, and welcome back to Spherical Cow. This week, we are continuing to answer some of the great questions you sent in. So next, we have. How do we know the universe is expanding? Another great question. That is another really great question. Loads of great questions. Um, so basically, the short answer to that question is the theory of general relativity, Einstein's theory of general relativity, basically predicts that the whole universe is either expanding or contracting. There isn't really another option, basically. It's got to be one of those two, and that's what the theory predicts. Um, but how do we know that it's expanding rather than contracting, and what is the experimental evidence? So, when we take a look at uh, the galaxies in our universe, in our observable universe, so the galaxies close to us, um, basically the movements of those galaxies are dominated by the gravitational dynamics of other nearby, galax of other nearby galaxies. So, if you cast your mind back to our general relativity episode, we spoke about how the force of gravity is quite like um, when you place a heavy mass on a trampoline yeah. and that kind of dents the trampoline. Creates a depression. Yes, and if you were to roll any marbles near that, the marbles will kind of be compelled to go sink into the... Yeah, to yeah. follow that path and go spinning and spinning around. But I think if you if you send it off at like exactly the right velocity, it might just keep spinning and yes. spinning and spinning. But I think normally, you know, in those games you see in like, I don't know, like... The arcade centres where you have you like roll it and then it just goes. Oh yes, goes like um, there's there's always some in McDonald's when they want you to donate like your one piece and two piece to charity. Yes. I think that's really good. <laughs> yeah. um, so basically, in relatively small regions of space, um, and relatively small regions of space actually is actually quite big in my opinion. <laughs> it's like a few millions or tens of millions of light years in size. Oh, but wow. anyway, that's I'll, what... I'll mention what a light year is later because we've got a question yes. about that. Um, so that's, that's what scientists consider a small region of space. And in those small regions of space, the masses in that space um, determine basically how the galaxies are going to move. So the movement of galaxies is basically determined by the, the depressions in the trampoline, if you will. Um, however, on larger scales, we see a different effect. So these small scale motions in which the, the galaxies are compelled to go towards wherever the mass is, um, like the trampoline, are called peculiar velocities. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why they're called peculiar, but I guess because it kind of is a little bit peculiar because they're superimposed on top of a, a larger overall effect that you can only start to see when you zoom out and you look at a much bigger region of space. Okay, that sounds... Interesting. Yes, so basically, so all the galaxies are kind of moving in their own little ecosystems, but then you zoom out and you realise that all galaxies are moving away from each other. And um, the further away a galaxy is from us, the faster it appears to recede away from us. Um, so, and we can tell how far away a galaxy is moving from us um, by a phenomenon called redshift. And I'm sure we've mentioned this in our previous episodes because light from anything moving away from you becomes redder in colour when you receive it. So if light from a star is 5% redder when we observe it than it should be, we know that the star is moving away from us at 5% the speed of light. Um, so this observation is known as Hubble's law, and it simply states that um, the, the speed of recession of a galaxy away from us is proportional to its distance from us. So that basically means that the further away a galaxy is, the farther away it's, it's trying to run away from us, basically. And that tells us that the universe is expanding. But 
what does that actually mean? When we say the universe is expanding, like what does that mean? In, into what? Yes, yes, that's, that's exactly it. So, um, basically, when we look at the universe, we see that it appears to be both homogenous and isotrophic. Um, those are cool words. Um, what do they mean? Uh, they're two properties and they're really important. So, homogenous means that the universe is the same everywhere in space. Um, so there's, a, there's an equal distribution of matter and whatnot in, everywhere you look. And isotropic means that the universe is the same in all directions. So it doesn't matter where you look, it looks the same in, you know, anywhere you look. Got it. <laughs> yes, and combined, that tells us that the universe has an even distribution of matter and energy in it. Um, no matter where you go or what direction you look in, there's an equal distribution. Like an equal, you want... If you're having a chocolate chip cookie, you need an equal distribution of your chocolate you chips. All, you don't want all your chocolate chips just bunched up. No, in one what's space? the point in carrying on, to be honest, if they're all in one place? <laughs> this sounds a bit contradictory to what you just said, Olivia, about the, the peculiarities. Yes, yeah, so the peculiar velocities. So basically, we just have to. So if we look at only small regions of, uh, of space, um, all the galaxies are kind of moving in their own ecosystems, but what you need to do to understand Hubble's law is we need to look at much, much greater scales, and then okay. we see that basically... So when you zoom out, you kind of see that overall pattern? Yes, okay. that's important. In order to see this overall pattern, um, we, need to be at, we need to have zoomed out far enough. Okay. Okay, and so the fact that the universe appears the same in all directions, in all regions of space, tells us that the expansion of the universe is an intrinsic expansion of the scale of space itself. So uh, that <laughs> means... Yeah, that is a bit wordy. So what that means is that the universe does not expand into anything. It doesn't grow to fill a space. The universe is all there is, and it's the universe itself expanding. So it's not like if you had a cookie in the oven and it was dough and it grows, it's not... You're not adding more dough to fill a greater volume. It's the actual cookie itself getting bigger and bigger. Oh, okay. And all the galaxies so, are moving. So space itself is, is like stretching. expanding and stretching. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like... It's not the... More space. Yeah, it's not space. It's, space is not growing to fill a bigger space. It's just space. The actual scale of space itself is being stretched. Okay. Um, a bit mind-boggling. It is a bit mind-boggling. Um... Yes, yeah, so basically, that's how we know that space is expanding. Um, and hopefully, I think it's really interesting, hopefully we'll be able to touch on it in a later episode. Yeah, and um, something interesting that you said earlier, Olivia, about how Einstein's general theory of relativity predicted, oh, the universe must be like expanding or contracting. Well, he really hated that. And he did, we'll, didn't we'll, he? <laughs> yeah, we'll get onto that more in a, a future episode where we talk about um, some mysterious forces. Yeah, there's dark a bit energy. of drama, so stick around. <laughs> stick around, yeah, we've got some dark yes. matter and dark energy going to come oh, soon. Oh, and bouncing off of that, um, so not only is the universe expanding, but the rate at which the universe is expanding is increasing. So basically, the universe is expanding at an accelerated rate. So it's it's expanding quicker and quick. It's expanding further and further and quicker and quicker. Um, and we don't know why. However, there are um, some very kind of popular explanations for for um, why we're experiencing an accelerated expansion. And one of which is dark energy, which hopefully we'll uh, catch up, we'll talk about more in a future episode. So stick around for that. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. That, that was really interesting. Okay, and kind of on the, on the space theme, our next question is, how do we measure light years? And, on, and kind of bouncing off of that, how big is the universe? Okay, so that's a really good question. Like, 
how do you measure light years and kind of light years what is a light year yeah <laughs> buzz sounds... light year <laughs> <laughs> um so basically a light year is just the distance that light can travel in um, one earth year and i've got my calculator and we can calculate this together and okay figure it out so we know that there are 60 seconds in a minute and there's 60 minutes in an hour and there's 24 hours in the day and there's around 365 days in a year ish ish yeah <laughs> so that gives us 31,536,000 seconds in a whole year. Yes. So now, if we times that by the speed of light, which is a 3 times 10 to the 8, that gives us around um, 9.5 times 10 to the 15, which is actually 9.5 trillion kilometres. So a light year is a really big distance. Whoa. I know, it's, it is really big, but then, as you said, it, what is it, a, a, a hundred million light years is a so small yes, distance. Yes, only small distance, so yeah. Because yeah, the universe really is um, very big. But yeah, to answer your question, a light year is just um, the distance that light covers in one year, and that is nine and a half trillion kilometres. So now that we've um, kind of established what the light year is, um, we can discuss how big is the universe, because they, they kind of measure that in light years. So when we receive light from distant objects, this is, I think this is quite interesting, when we receive light from distant objects, we are actually looking into the past, because wow. that light has taken some time to reach us. So, um, quick thought experiment, um, experiment, imagine that the sun just suddenly gets plucked out of our solar system. Uh-oh, not good. <laughs> not good, exactly, not good, because... Um, we won't feel its gravitational attraction anymore, we'll yeah. just like fly out of orbit. But yeah, freeze to death. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> interestingly, we won't realise that the light has disappeared until after around 8 minutes and 20 seconds, because that's how long Whoa. it takes light from the sun to reach Earth. And also the, um, the speed of like gravity, like um, those, the gravitational waves, those ripples in space-time will also take around 8 minutes and 20 seconds to reach us, so we won't fly out of orbit until that time is up. That's amazing. So I think it's really interesting. When you see light from the sun, you're actually looking at light that was produced around eight minutes ago. Wow. Which is so, which is so crazy. And I like, have another interesting fact about that. You'll have to forgive me because I actually have no idea how many... Is it? I'm really going to embarrass myself now. <laughs> millions slash millions of years ago, the dinosaurs roamed the earth. But anyway, okay, please, I'm going to be very embarrassed, but let's just assume that they roamed the earth 10 million years ago. If we were on... Uh, if we were to kind of zoomed to a star that was 10 million light years away from us, the, the light that that star would be receiving itself from the Earth would be the light emitted when the dinosaurs were on the Earth. <laughs> so basically, if they looked at Earth, if a star 10 million light years away from Earth looked at the Earth, they'd still see the dinosaurs on the Earth because that's the light that was coming towards the star at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Um, so... I was just thinking what what you said about the star being was it like ten million light years away? Yeah. What I'm going to get onto actually, I think it might be even further away from that because Whoa. we haven't factored in the expansion <gasps> of the universe. We've so, just spoken about that and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so using um, the ideas that we just were speaking about about how you're kind of looking into the past and you see light, you might think that because the universe is um, 13.8 billion years old that um, if light has been travelling towards us for 13.8 billion years, then the distance, then um, this, that star which emitted that light would be 13.8 billion light years away from us. But actually, 
that's wrong and it's a bit annoying because you think oh yeah that, that makes sense but it's wrong because we've assumed that the universe is static but as Olivia just mentioned we know the universe is expanding and we actually know the expansion is accelerating so interestingly the universe isn't actually 13 I'm um, sorry yeah interestingly <laughs> the universe isn't actually 13.8 billion light years in radius but it's 46 billion light years in radius um, and so what you were saying about that light it's definitely true that if the if there was someone on, on the star maybe looking and seeing the um, seeing some light coming from like reflecting off the dinosaurs I guess yeah. and coming towards them, I don't think they'd be they wouldn't be like ten million is what we were saying ten million light years away. They probably even have further to be than further now I see. because of the expansion. But yeah. the light would take um, that long to yes. reach them. I think. But that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, the, there's something called the particle horizon, which is the maximum distance from which light particles could have travelled um, in the whole age of the universe. Okay. So basically, the particle horizon is 46 billion light years in like radius. Because if you imagine, we can look at the universe in all directions, so it's kind of like a circle or a sphere, yeah. I guess, is what we're seeing. So we know that the entire universe is around 92 to 93 billion light years wide, so just doubling the 46 to get like the diameter. And, but that is our observable universe. That's the, the part of the universe that we can see um, that light was once, um, that light was emitted by a star like the 13.8 billion years ago, but they're now at that point. Um, but, so that's only the observable universe, but the actual, like the whole universe, scientists don't know, it could be infinite, it could be finite, and we just don't know. And there's another interesting thing I found called the event horizon, which is like um, the boundary. If, if a star is on the inside of that boundary, then if it emits some light now, we'll be able to see it. In, we'll be able to see it, but if the star is like away slightly um, on the other side of that boundary, we'll never be able to see the light from that star, even if it emits it now, we'll never be able to see it, not because we'll die, but just because of the... <laughs> Just because of the expansion of the universe, just the oh. light will just never reach. Be us. able to catch up with the expansion, or be able to kind overcome of, yeah. the expansion. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was really cool. So thank you. That was that was a really interesting question. <laughs> so next um, we have a bit more back to Earth. Yes. Back down, <laughs> back down from space. Someone has asked, "How do you find the voltage across a resistor?" Thank you very much for your question. So one way you can find the voltage across a resistor is by measuring the voltage using a voltmeter. So a voltmeter measures voltage. Um, and basically, volt, um, so another, you might have heard that another word for voltage is potential difference. And so voltmeters measure the difference between the potential energy of two particular points in a circuit. Um, and display this using a pointer which can move across a scale. And so, if you want to measure the voltage or potential difference of a resistor, or any component in fact, um, you basically need to measure the potential energy at both ends of the component, and then see how much the potential energy has changed after the kind of current and charge flows through that comment. So you need to... So, in order to measure voltage, you need to see how much potential energy has changed. Yeah, and I think it's changed per unit charge. That yes. The voltage makes it kind of irrespective of the charge. It's just yeah. kind of just thinking about energy per unit charge. Absolutely. Um, and so that's why we place a voltmeter in parallel. Um, and we do this so that it is attached to two points in the circuit around uh, the resistor or the components so that you can get kind of like two measurements and, and find the distance, and find, not the distance, <laughs> and find the difference per unit charge um, in the potential energy of oh, the circuit. That's so cool. I, I, that, that never clicked for me why you have to have, it's kind of at two different points. Yes, yeah. That's really cool. And actually linking to our first 
last episode all about superconductors, if you remember how we were talking about like the electrons travelling through the metal lattice and the whole reason they that their potential energy changes once they've passed through that component is because if they're moving through like um, a resistor and let's say that resistor is like made of metal, mm-hmm. it's gonna like collide with all those um, ions in the metal lattice yes. and like slowly deposit some of bits of its energy to those ions. So when it comes out it has less energy than it did at the beginning yes it's going to have less energy in its little pot of energy to, to use you know it's, it's been taken by the by the metal basically yeah, exactly so i think that's a really cool way of thinking it thinking about that um and um it's important to note that in an ideal world the perfect voltmeter should just measure the potential difference and nothing else it shouldn't interfere with the system that you're trying to um, measure but it is not an ideal world <laughs> nothing is perfect but that's okay and um, so when you do put a voltmeter in parallel, it does draw some current. Um, however, the amount of current that it draws can be minimised, um, and you minimise it by giving the voltmeter the highest resistance possible, so it doesn't. It only draws the, the tiniest, tiniest amount of current, of current exactly. Um, and so, but obviously, it will draw a tiny amount of current. So when you are, you know, doing circuit calculations, you do have to take into account the internal resistance of the voltmeter itself. So. If there is some current which travels through the voltmeter, you have to take into account that it might have lost some energy in the voltmeter rather than resist the resistor itself. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so yes. Yes. Yeah, so if you're trying to be like really accurate in your calculations, you, you should make note of the voltmeter yes. resistance. But because I think in practice, because it's so high compared to the other values of yeah. resistance you're using in your circuit, you can normally just yes, ignore it. Yes, it's hopefully negligible. <laughs> um, alternatively, if you want to find the um, voltage across a resistor, you can use an equation. So, for example, V equals IR. Um, voltage equals current times, times resistance. resistance. <laughs> you, if you know the current in the circuit and the resistance of a resistor, which is usually kind of like printed on a little sticker on the outside <laughs> of the resistor, um, you can use the equation, plug those values in, and you can find the voltage. So thank you for your question. I hope that helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Um, yes. Um, so next we have... A, oh, we're bouncing off back into space. <laughs> um, and the question is, where does the universe end? Okay, so this is actually a really interesting question, and there's kind of five different possibilities that scientists have at the moment. So I'll use, I'll use, I, I think they're like the funny names. We've got the big crunch, the the big freeze, the big slurp, the big rip, and the big bounce. <laughs> Everything big. <laughs> Everything big. So um, I'll talk about the most likely scenario because um, these are all really interesting. I think they deserve their own episode a little okay. bit. Okay. So hopefully, we'll talk about the the end of the universe in a bit more detail another time. But the most likely scenario is um, the big freeze, or this is also called heat death more commonly, but you know, I just want to be dramatic yes, with all the big absolutely. words. <laughs> um, so heat death. Um, so the whole idea behind the heat death is that we know the universe is expanding, which means that galaxies are getting further and further apart. So as Olivia mentioned, scientists found that the, the expansion of the universe is actually accelerating, but... They originally thought that it would be slowing down because of gravity pulling everything in together. And uh, we'll touch a bit more on that in a future episode. Um, But the reason that scientists found um, the universe to be accelerating is um, because of this weird force or this weird energy called dark energy. And because of dark energy, the um, the expansion of the universe is accelerating, so everything's getting further and further and further and further apart. So all the little groups of galaxies in the universe are getting further and further apart. And in around 100 billion years in the future, we won't be able to see any distant galaxies anymore because that light won't reach us. 
So the universe basically looks very empty. <laughs> Everything will kind of decay, all the stars will fade away, and even black holes will evaporate, and you're basically left with kind of nothing, and it's quite a sad, quiet oh. ending to the universe. But um, you might be wondering, all that emptiness kind of sounds quite cold. Well, the reason it's called heat death is because there's um, a law in thermodynamics called that the entropy of the universe always increases. So entropy is kind of like disorder, like how much chaos there is. So the idea behind heat death is that the universe will reach its like maximum entropy state. And so that heat is kind of like the entropy. So when, when everything kind of like is cold and very empty, it's because everything's like really like disordered. There's just so much chaos left. Um, it's just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, there's just like lots of chaos and you reach the maximum entropy state of the universe and that's known as heat death. And don't worry, you don't have to worry about any of this happening. It's, it's 10 to the 10 to like another power um, years in the future. So it's a really, really, really long time. Okay, so I'll sleep well tonight, don't worry. <laughs> no worries. Um, so that was one of the scenarios and hopefully we'll talk about the others in a future episode. That's all we have time for this week. But don't worry, we'll be answering even more of your questions next time in our last instalment of these Q&A episodes. Unfortunately, we won't be able to get through all of the questions because there are just so many of them. <laughs> However, next time we will be discussing some of the really cool quantum mechanics questions you sent in. Until then, it's goodbye for now. From Spherical Cow. Spherical cow.